This is a previously recorded episode. This show is broadcasting live from the Podcast Detroit studios in Royal Oak, Michigan. For more information about the show or our network, please visit www.podcastdetroit.com. And welcome to episode 12 of the Liz in Detroit podcast. I am your co-host today, Michael DeRay. People like to refer to me as Newman. And introducing our very own Elizabeth Tintinelli. Hi, everyone. Great to talk to you again. And we would like to remind everybody, if you're looking for us online, you can follow us at www.lizindetroit.com. On Facebook, we are LizInDetroit.com. And on Twitter, it is at LizInDetroit. Um, so give us a follow. All of our current listings are up on our social media platforms. And Liz and her partner, Paul, are there to assist you. So with that, Liz, you know, we've got kind of um, it's a potpourri show this week. You know, we've had a lot of questions once again coming in. We did this a few weeks ago where we were just – talking about questions, but with the market conditions the way they are right now, I think we wanted to take a few minutes just to go over them with you and get your viewpoint. What is your opinion of what's going on in the market right now? Yeah, and so my apologies, everyone, from talking at you today. I was um, hoping, which in the coming weeks, I will be able to bring on my expected guest for today. He does a lot of renovation and construction on rehab work in the city of Detroit, Aaron Tidwell with New Day Construction. Um, he's been a huge asset as I've been going through the last sales of the units at the Park Shelton as well as other properties I've been selling in and about Metro Detroit. So he, I would love, and he will come on this show, so I can get the 411 on his skills with um, rehab loans and other great construction projects you guys can um, think about if you're looking into such projects for your own properties. Um, But for today, I thought it was kind of poignant because I've been, this last week, um, I've been contacted by a lot of clients who have a lot of questions regarding a variety of things and just wanting my you know, take on certain things, whether it be market conditions or, you know, evaluations and where's the market going and those kind of things. So I thought I'd take some time um, a little bit today um, to discuss those things. And one of the first questions I had, it was um, from a a buyer actually um, at the Park Shelton. He bought a one-bedroom, two-bath unit that through my coaching, he turned into a fabulous two-bedroom, two-bath. Did all the right renovations, and it sparked similar style units to actually get swept up um, for that very fact because based on the size and the layout and the overall price, um, it was a far better value than some of the um, higher-priced two-bedroom, two-bath units that are out there on the marketplace. So thanking him for that. But he came in because he was really concerned about Zillow and not to down Zillow because, you know, I I do look to them for a lot of resources on a regular basis. But he's like, Liz, I did an evaluation regarding my property and it said my property's worth, you know, $100,000 less. He's like, what's going on? What can you do? And I told him, I said, you know, the unfortunate part with how Zillow tabulates values, it's not as specific 
as we can be as agents targeting in non-specific areas, let alone specific buildings. And I think he was really upset because the Park Shelton is located in zip code 48202. Well, when they're pulling in all this data to make these evaluations, they're not basing it on, well, this is a condo, this is a house, and, you know, um, they're too... We're comparing apples and oranges. They don't do that. They're they're valuing everything in that particular zip code. And it just so happens, you know, there are a lot of single family residences in 48202 that might not have such higher values as some of the high end condos that are in that particular zip code. So I try to reassure him, listen, this is real the real case. And he was more frustrated in the fact that City of Detroit is now basing a lot of valuations on what Zillow has versus um, other resources for property value. So I find that to be a bit intriguing. So that's going to take some investigating more on my part um, to find out why they're doing that. I mean, I guess in a certain respect, if your pricing is lower, then your taxes could potentially be lower. But if it's um, a great deal below, then that could hurt you as a buyer or owner if you are looking for a higher value. Well, I think one of the things that you look at uh, especially when you talk about Detroit and Zillow, is the change. If you look at 2011, 85% of the sales were below $50,000. 85%. Now, this in year. Which, in which? It, this is in the city of Detroit. Like what? All zip codes? Yeah, all zip codes well, yeah. in the city of Detroit. Right. But this year, 2016 sold the $50,000 in above space is 25% of that market. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So in other words, what used to be everything, you know, you look at 2011, it was right around 56% was under $10,000. Right. So as all these things have been sold now and the valuations are coming in line and there's been a lot more cash, Zillow is not incorporating into their models exactly what's happening in the market. They're just well, going Well, that's what I'm saying. They're numbers. not specific. They're not spe- specifying. A lot of the times they're not, their systems don't differentiate certain hot marketplaces in parts of Detroit versus other areas that might be still um, seeing signs of struggle or those that are climbing out of this, you know, that economic um, downturn. So that's what, you know, you just have to do a lot more homework, I think, than just base it on one particular source. So what do you believe then Zillow is best at? What is Zillow good for? I like it because I wake up in the morning, unfortunately, with my cell phone glued to my face and I get, you know, instant alerts related to new properties that are coming on the market. Um, Make me move, which is one of the best categories ever, because you can get to see what people are, you know, just taking a chance and seeing what their property is worth and what someone's willing to pay for it in this current marketplace of where there isn't a whole lot of inventory. So it's kind of intriguing. Um, you know, as well as new listings for rentals and for sale. So it's just one other um, pathway to finding about real estate that's um, in addition to what realtors actually list, you know, in, which is the multi-listing service. So I like looking at the two in comparison because sometimes it shows up on Zillow first before it does in RealComp because sometimes you might have a for sale by owner and they can list free of charge on Zillow and get a lot of exposure and not necessarily choose to link up with an agent to list the property. So I think hitting it from both directions is kind of key as an agent, I find. And then 
I too find that a lot of buyers are seeking out listings that come up on Zillow that I can't necessarily find in my database. So, you know, to do a little bit more research on my part, if they find something they really like that's for sale by owner, contact the owner if I can, you know, wanting to set up a showing, having an interested buyer, would they pay a commission just so, you know, I can further find out if this is going to be a viable option for my client. You know, one of the things I found and I was working with um, a family member, so it was necessarily not... Uh, completely commission-driven. I knew what they were trying to do. And they were going a lot through Zillow and Trulia. And what I told them is I said, look, you know, if we're going to do the this way, then I want you to do most of the legwork and mm-hmm. I'm going to help you on the um, litigious aspect of what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of shocking to me. There was three properties between Trulia and Zillow mm-hmm. that we looked at that there was just a problem. As an agent, you would look at it and say, there's a red flag right here, mm-hmm. you know, and some of the properties are listed by like a property management firm, but they're mm-hmm. not licensed as an agent. They may or may not be. They may or may not be. Yeah. Um, not saying that they're not, yeah. but when you start doing the due diligence and you're looking and saying, are you, you know, licensed? Are you a broker, an associate broker? Um, two of the three properties who we were ended up dealing with didn't even own the property. Mm. You know, and so that was one of the negatives I saw with Zillow and Trulia um, from a standpoint of the importance of actually utilizing an agent. And I realize it sounds self-serving because both of us are agents, right? But this is what we're trained to do as opposed to people that I know people like to take the FISBO route because they don't necessarily want to pay. Mm-hmm. But you're also paying kind of insurance where you have somebody that's looking out for your best interest. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I mean – I've seen track records on listings of Zillow that have been for sale by owner where something's been listed like, you know, within the last two years, like six or seven times at a variety of different price points, you know, and that kind of throws up red flags when I see something like that. But within, you know, going on your point of um, it turned out the person you end up dealing with wasn't the owner, that's one of the reasons why I particularly now choose not to use Craigslist um, to advertise anything I have for sale or for rent because I was getting a lot of fraudulent postings. Um, I had a for sale property actually on short sale in Roseville and a listing showed up on Craigslist for for lease and they used all of my photos and it was frightening because the the home at the time was actually occupied by the people who were actually trying to buy it. They were Mm -hmm. renting it. And they're like, there are people looking in the windows. So I was like furious trying to figure out who this person was because it gave a contact name. And I got a lot of, I'm sorry, you know, when I contacted that number. But I mean, I inevitably had the owner file a police report because, you know, (laughs) who knows what could have happened from that. So that kind of really turned me off. Not to mention I was getting a lot of solicitation that was very much unwanted and unwarranted on (laughs) Craigslist for a lot of other reasons. So. I choose not to use it, but I know a lot of people who do, who happen to have their own, you know, uh, portfolio of properties and they are, they find that they are still successful using it. So it's really, it all, it's all different based on what your experiences are and what you value and trust. So, you know, and that's just the thing. You have to take a lot of stuff with a grain of salt. I mean, again, we are this digital age right now where you can post just about anything. It can be great for the consumer if you want to get direct to a source. I mean, I was talking with some other clients. I shouldn't say they aren't clients of mine. Some friends of friends whom uh, ended up getting a property in Sherwood Forest, and they actually found it out through Facebook 
that these people were looking. And I think that's great. I mean, in that in, you know, in that arena, this direct contact that you can make on the internet is really spectacular because you can, you know, get access to something that you wouldn't have otherwise and find, you know, the home of your dreams, which is pretty fantastic. You know, um, you just have to be cautious. That's all. I think real estate agents right now are going through the same thing that uh, financial advisors went through, um, usually around 2010, 2011, when everybody decided, hey, I can go on E-Trade or I can go on and I can just be a day trader. I don't have to pay this guy sure. um, to do it. And what we're seeing with social media, especially you know Facebook and the like, is that everybody believes that they can be a real estate agent now mm-hmm. and that there's not a certain amount of knowledge that has to come along. Um, and experience that has to come along with actually getting that deal done. So I'm with you 100% from a standpoint of social media has made the profession evolve, right? And it's made you as a real estate agent change the way that you do business. Absolutely. You know, you just, it's it's a different kind of knowledge base that you're, you're forced to have to learn and understand and be um, proficient in, you know, just like the whole profession itself. It's always ever, it's always changing. It's always evolving and staying on top of, you know, the different tools and resources that are out there. I think it's important to defining, you know, how good of an agent you are. So I agree. Um, another, another, um, potential client that I'm, um, hoping to solidify as an actual client right now is uh, was a referral from a mortgage lender that I've been working with, and he has a very busy life with work. You know, pulls like that seventy eighty hour work week, and um, is looking for kind of like that dream property, that very unique spot. And he came across something that was actually listed on Zillow that looks really spectacular. It's a very unique property in a city that you wouldn't necessarily think that such kind of properties exist. And from his purchase power, it's totally doable. But when he looked at it more closely, based on where it was, he was like second guessing if it's worth it to him to buy. And I said, you know, this same property in the quote unquote hotter areas would be double or triple of probably what it is. So when you're thinking about what that dream property is, you know, you have to further define, is this the dream property for the next year? <laughs> right. Is this the dream property I want to live in the rest of my life? You know, then absolutely, you got to at least look at it, you know, and figure out if that's, you know, if that's something you're willing to make such an investment in, you know, so. There are some markets right now that are perceived as hot. Mm-hmm. And there are other markets that are not perceived as hot that are just smoking. You know, Detroit for many years has always had that negative connotation. Much like Hazel Park has that negative connotation right now. I like Hazel Park. Uh, Hazel Park is absolutely growing so much in that John R. Corridor, especially around Nine Mile, where Mabel Gray has gone in and now with the brewery going in and Doug's Delight has been purchased. And you have more people going back into that. There are different pockets. It's much like Detroit. You know, there are still some very um, undesirable areas of Hazel Park. Yeah. But there are some areas now where it's just like you look at the property, what it's listed for right now, and say, I'll take that at that, where other people would come into Detroit and see a price on um, a 900-square-foot loft, right, at like 250 275 And they're like, nobody would ever pay that. And I was oh, like, you yes. have no idea what's going on in the market right now or even higher than that in parts of downtown so that's yeah it's just you know really evaluating 
people's wants and needs. And, you know, I think we're, we're against, you know, a couple of different generations now and trying to accommodate a bunch of different wants right now in the city of Detroit as we're really at the cusp of a whole other building um, phase of our redevelopment. You know, um, within the next year to two years, we're going to see an unveiling of a, a bunch of new product of various kinds in the rental market, you know, and we're just starting to see it, you know, um, a for sale market of the similar caliber come forward. And it's like, you know, looking at these, um, as we would call them, the millennials that maybe don't want to purchase that home, but they have you know, those means where they could afford a three or four or $500,000 house, but instead they want that great lifestyle downtown next to everything. So they'll spend the, you know, the upper two to $3 a square foot on rent because they're going to be at the heart of where they want to spend all of their time. And then the flip side of that is where I'm seeing the, um, the generation that's probably beyond their retirement years, but they've, or, or they're approaching that have had that large home that are really looking to be within that walking distance to um, all the things they enjoy about the city of Detroit. But they have very specific needs regarding potentially having things on one level, you know, having at least two, if not maybe three bedrooms, you know, um, accessibility, yet privacy and security. So it's just a very interesting time to, to see how. And our building plans, we're going to come about to accommodate that. And um, I'm happy to see that we still have so much of original architecture that is available for rent and for sale, in addition to so much of the new product that's coming out there. Because we all know that new product is going to be a whole lot smaller in many respects. Oh, sure. So to have that kind of a balance that we're totally not trying to completely rewrite the book in Detroit, I think is also a real important part of seeing where things go in the future. And then what do you see right now with inventory in the city of Detroit? You know, I've seen... Like the last couple of weeks, I've just watching in my area of of downtown and surrounding suburbs um, that I've been seeing some price drops. I think we were on this trend of things continuing to increase, and people are definitely trying to test the envelope again because of where we are for inventory. But I'm seeing that they're making price drops, so it's leading me to believe that. Yes, people want to get as much as they can for their properties, but they're seeing not the exact same response in certain respect from the buying public. And so, you know, we're seeing things drop a little bit. But I think that's only um, a symptom of where we are right now in the marketplace. And that could very well turn around differently come next spring. But I think from things with the presidential election, I think things will probably see a leveling off Mm -hmm. between now and the end of the year and pick up again let's hope as it normally does come talking with people um i was at the dac a couple weeks ago and those are people that you know obviously you're a member um these are people that are invested in the city of detroit but a lot of them live out in the suburbs and i was asking a couple of them you know have you thought about getting in right now and they're like you know what i'm not going to get in right now because i know there's new stuff and i know it's going to be more expensive but i think i'd rather pay for the newer stuff. And I think that might be one of the things we're seeing with people um, that are now lowering their prices. Um, They see that there's money on the sidelines. Mm -hmm. And so they want to entice 
because they want to move. Mm-hmm. If somebody has their place up for sale, they're, they're looking to move. Mm-hmm. You know, they're looking to do something with it. So they're a little bit more motivated. So it may be a seller's market, mm-hmm. but it's starting, especially in the city of Detroit, it's starting to move into a buyer's market yeah. of what they want to buy if they're looking for old. It's still going to be a seller's. Mm-hmm. As we go into spring, it's going to be completely a seller's market again mm-hmm. where they're going to be able to command top dollar for whatever they're putting up. I, I, believe that's, I believe that's true. You know, I do think... From most of the buyers that I've come across, they're they're much more of a particular taste as far as what they want. Like they want that fixer-upper, but they want something that has, you know, the grandeur of the old-style look and, you know, and charm of woodworks or, or woodwork or a fireplace or a great, you know, staircase. But even in the ones that are fixed up, like I have clients that have gone through houses that have been, you know, fixed up because they don't necessarily um, want a whole fixer-upper. But then they're seeing those turnkey ones where, like, it kind of looks like a flip because there's certain mm-hmm. things they did do, but yet they didn't do. So it's really interesting to see what's coming up, you know, and what, you know, what that seller, investor, owner, whatever is answering to try to entice that buyer coming through. You know, um, I've, I've been working with several listings in a cooperative community just the other side of the DeQuinder Cut from the, you know, infamous Mies van der Rohe and now upcoming and popular the Shadow Fort community. And I just think these things are so it's t- such an amazing community. You've got so many people that are living there that have been there for 20 to 30 years. And they bought in at a time, and I think, when a lot of financing was available mm-hmm. over there. But in changing times of the marketplace and, you know, conditions of the community and upgrades needed, you know, it kind of, things shifted. Um, and where, you know, you could pick up a co-op for like twenty and $30,000. And they're not, they haven't gone up too much now because they're facing a point where – you know, if people are looking to pay cash, the whole concept of a co-op is still very, very awkward and paying that monthly caring charge and it not going away and understanding all of this, you know, and I'm, I'm really, I'm working on a community to try to work on getting their financing. Hopefully by springtime, they can work something out because I think to really be able to go that next level, they're going to need it. But we're talking units that are like three bedroom, one and a half baths priced between, you know, 50 and $75,000, which, again, coming up with that amount of cash is is definitely, you know, it's not the easiest thing. And it's not readily available for a lot of people, I think, that are choosing for that. But Well, speaking of that, right now you have listed 1926 Hyde Park yes. and 2000 Hyde Park. Yes. 1926 is 56.9. Yes. And 2000 is 50. Right. Right. Yeah. So that's exactly One's what you're talking bedroom, about. One's a two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath. The other's a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath. You know, both... Uh, the, the two-bedroom 2000 Hyde Park has seen some upgrades to it, could still, you know, um, deserve some personal touches, you know, on the outside courtyard area that it has. It's got a partially finished basement. Was that basement done in the 70s? Yes, it's got paneling, but you could paint it. You know, you could put a nice little bar in there. So, there, you know, if you've got that, the appetite for that, as well as the means for a cash out purchase, I think those are great based on exactly in their location. It's just the other side of the DeQuinder cut. And, you know, again, you've got a lot of strength in the in the community from residents that have been there for a long time that I think to me in the city of Detroit, that's a big bonus is to have people who've been there for a long time. They've been there. These properties are not abandoned by no. any way, shape or form. These no. are people moving back 
into these communities. They're strengthening right. these communities. And not to mention this one particular cooperative I've been speaking of is North Park. You know, within the last three years, they did massive capital improvements. You know, their fees have not changed in, what, close to 10 years. But they had an amazing amount of reserves. So what did they do with that money? What they should have done. They got new roofs. They got new siding, new windows, new doors. Um, you know, in many of your cases, even newer furnaces, hot water tanks. So it's like you're coming in with the same amount of money you 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 were buying into, you know, 10 years ago. And that monthly expense, which varies based on the size, but let's say the three-bedroom units run seven sixty-eight a month, that is what you're paying per month. It includes your property taxes. It includes your water. It includes your gas. So you're only paying additionally for electric. I mean, like, where are you going to find a three-bedroom to rent in the city? Now, Correct. I know the qualifications for the co-ops are different. You know, stable income, stable credit, those kind of things are sought after for the board to approve any given applicant. But... I know there are a lot of individuals out there that meet that criteria that that I still that still maybe not have have taken the chance to walk the community and really see what it's about. So I'm encouraging you to do that. I'm working on a possible open house at the end of September, beginning of October for just that. But I'm a little nervous about open houses right now because I had an incident happen in one of mine. So I'm just, you know, I'm very cautious, especially when they're personal items still in units. So. Um, I want to make sure I have the proper manned open house before we move forward um, to set that up on the schedule. You know, and I just want to put just a little point on that. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to dig into it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the incident that you're talking about did not happen in the city of no, Detroit. No, it did not. No, it did not. And it's this particular incident is actually in, occurring in areas in particular outside of the city and more nicer stronger neighborhoods where price points are, you know, five and six times of the properties I was speaking of. In, um, and Detroit. some of the most affluent zip codes in this state. Correct. Correct. And it's it's a pretty well-oiled machine that, that's going on and doing these these things. Um, and it just makes you really cautious. Again, an ever-changing world of being an agent and how you have to, you know, properly navigate and how you market a property. And there's some things that are always going to be out of your control, you know. But I see every now and again on the MLS, like if you have an open house, you know, lock up your belongings in your car. Don't bring anything with you. You know, definitely be have more than just yourself at the open house. So you actually have people staged in other areas, you know, for – the happenstance that you've got somebody who walks in for the open house that might be casing the joint. I mean, there's, it's kind of crazy that you think you have to think that way, but you do. And with that, speaking again of Detroit, what's going mm-hmm. on with the Park Shelton? So excited. So I, um, I started off the Park Shelton in November of 2014, um, just the eve of my wedding. And I'm mm-hmm. quite happy to say that it's been a fantastic probably going on, you know, two years now on the project and very happy to say that we're we're down to our last six. Of that last six, I have in, you know, within a week's time period, we'll have, um, I presume to have two executed contracts on two of those six. So really, in, in my mindset, I have four units left to sell at the Park Shelton. And um, this is an extremely good thing, not only for the building, but for the community um, to have 
these units owned by private owners, whether they be investors or owners. It just means a lot of strength that the community will have going forward as an association to, um, you know, to build themselves into a strong community now as they are the governing, you know. And that's another one. You know, you look at the Q line, you look at Chartreuse, which is in the Park Shelton. You mean the M1 line? You said the Q line. That's the name of it. Is it the Q line? Yes. Oh, the, okay, okay. Yeah. Dan Gilbert paid yes. a lot of money for, for us that to Q say line. the Q yeah. line. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, Busted, you know, which is a great lingerie shop. You know, it's just – it's a building even from 1926 that there is a community there and the retail and – the food and everything you see people going in and to know that there are only six units left and essentially four based on the way that you're talking, you know, that's going to turn over. It's going to be turned over completely to the homeowners association, which it already has been, but now, you know, they'll have that much more control with everything being over. Right. They won't have anybody. They're like, what's going on? Everybody's going to regulate themselves. And it's, and I, you know, um, I've met several of the board members and I'm very happy to, to have communication with them and a level where they understand and believe in the building itself. And I think that's really a big part of a building, the size of the Park Shelton, of its history and grandeur. You know, you, to elect somebody on a board, you know, any condominium for that matter, you've got to have somebody who really cares. And it's not an easy feat when you have, you know, 200 plus units. Um, you know, I was on my board for my kind of association as treasurer and we only had 29 units and I was emailing people almost on a daily basis. So it's, it's a big job. And, um, I have lots of hopes that things will only get better in that building. They might have some rough patches as they get through some, um, some issues at hand, but in the most part, I think that's going to stand apart as one of the best buildings in the city. For sure. You know, going through what you currently have listed, there are three properties actually, that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. And the first one being is that there is now 306 is available. 120 Seward. Yes. Which is right there in the university, Wayne State University Yeah, area. New Center, um, the expansion of Midtown Inc. Now they've enveloped the old New Center Council into it. So, yeah, there's a great deal of attention, interest, development that's going on Um around that Grand Boulevard area. Um, Seward is exactly four blocks north of the um, main transit station for the Q line. So it's really a very with a, a very close distance if you reside there to walk to catch that transportation down to the rest of the city. So I think that's um, a huge asset to have that, not to mention with the plans um, for the Fisher Building, um, the recent conversion and I give kudos to the first couple of sales at the conversion of the second and Lothrop condominium building, which is another spectacular building in, um, in new center. So I hope to see more of that happen as well as a variety of new construction. As you know, they're working through mixed use developments, um, in some of the vacant parking lots along, um, grand Boulevard to be developed as well. So, and not only that, but the Fisher building and the Albert Kahn are two other, uh, big projects slated for mixed use. So I just think it's so pretty. In many respects, it has like a charm I find to be comparable to that of parts of like Brooklyn with the tree-lined streets and sidewalks. And it's... um, Well, that's a hot building. 120 Seward, uh, you and I have seen it. People are like, when are you going to have something available? Right. 
And so it's always exciting when we have a listing and say, Correct. you know what? Mm-hmm. We've got it. Now, I'll tell you that they don't stay long. Nope. Um, the other thing that jumped out, 65 Winder. Yes. Which is right across the street from the Detroit District, mm-hmm. the new arena. Yes. Comerica Park, Ford yes. Field, Fox Theater, $2,100 a month. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's absolutely, it's an exquisite price point. Not only that, it's 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 uh, one of the larger of that, in essence, uh, two-story townhouse style. Um, in, in, in that, and I don't know if it's unique to that particular row, but in many of them, when you're going up to the upper master bedroom suite, you don't have an elevated lofted space that overlooks the living room. And this does. That could be like a perfect like little office or studio. So you gain, you know, a decent amount of square footage at the top of the stairs that many of those um, two-story level units do not. Not to mention you've got an expanded kind of like formal dining room area on one side of the kitchen where the living room is on the other that sometimes is turned into a third bedroom but is opened up. So it's a two-bedroom, two-bath, but allows for a whole lot of space if you're looking for that location um again near all the stadiums and be you know have access to all of that uh um action not to mention the parking it's got a two um two car uh tandem parking garage attached too so that alleviates a lot of the questions and concerns regarding parking for a two-bedroom in the city and then in the suburbs, you have Birmingham Club still available. Birmingham Club Drive is still available. We had um, an open house a few weeks back um, after we did do a pretty big um, price drop. We had a lot of good feedback from that. Um, it is in itself a very unique property. I find that in time, we will definitely find our right buyer because this is the crux of, of Birmingham Club Drive. Built in 1989 specifically for the needs of the, the current owners, which was... Um, a couple who um, were, their children were of age where they were out of the house. So they were looking for a sprawling ranch that met, you know, the entertainment needs that they had had. Um, so we're talking about an, an expansive um, cathedral ceiling living room with a, two, with a two-sided fireplace off of their study. Um, a master bedroom suite with two closets and a nice walk-in bath. Um, in addition to a guest bedroom and bath on the upstairs um, huge three-season room off the main um, kitchen area, half bath, first floor laundry, and then they also finished off their whole basement, which allotted for another bedroom. Granted, it doesn't have an egress window, but one can be put in, folks, um, and a large walk-in closet. So technically, two bedrooms, two and a half baths on the main, and another fabulous full bedroom and full bathroom on the lower level. Still available for the taken and very close to Oakland Hills Country Club. Mm. What what else do you have new coming up? I'm in discussion right now with um, owners of a Mies Vandero. Everybody's loving the Mies these days. A beautiful townhouse that will be coming up in Nicolette. Hoping to do a, a walkthrough within the next week. So if you're interested in, in a Mies townhouse, please get in contact with me. There is another unit on the market right now um, that's featured in Nicolette, uh, priced at three thirty nine. Um, I'm also working on, uh, I have a rental coming up at the FD Lofts that should be available mid-October, definitely by November 1st. Um, Two-bedroom, one-and-a-half bath. And um, 
still have a fa- fantastic um, unit off of Ferry Street around the corner from the Park Shelton, um, 405 East Ferry. Um, the association has signed the contract to do um, a bunch of tuck pointing and repainting of the community as we speak. So if you're thinking um, about it, it's only going to get better um, once that painting and tuck pointing is done. But it's a spectacular three-bedroom uh, one and a half bath that the current owners reside in part time and do Airbnb on the offset. So it makes for a great investment. That's 405 East Ferry. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm talking with new buyers all the time, um, expanding my outreach, um, you know, to other parts of Metro Detroit and showcasing my skills as a good agent. So, you know, I'm keeping it going. Well, I think you have more than just a few skills as a good agent. Yes, yes. And with that, it's been a great show. Liz, thanks for all of your insight. Thank you, everyone. Once again, you can follow us on Twitter, at Liz in Detroit. Look for us on Facebook, LizInDetroit.com. And Liz's website is always www.LizInDetroit.com. And if you would like to get in touch with Liz, you can call me. You can call her at 313-617-2699. Thanks again. Till next time. We will see you next time. This is a previously recorded episode of